Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Monday, March 14th. Coming up, the debate around school choice in Missouri and how it could affect public schools, students, and families. But first, some headlines. Students at Kansas City Public Schools won't need to wear masks starting today. KCUR's Jody Fortino has more. Kansas City Public Schools has kept its mask mandate throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, stating that it is dedicated to following the science. Last month, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention relaxed its guidance to recommend masking only in communities at a high level of risk. The school district decided on Wednesday to end its mask mandate immediately to align with the updated guidelines. A district spokesperson said their schools currently have a less than 1% positivity rate. Preschool students and employees in the Head Start program will remain under a federal mask mandate. Republicans in the Kansas legislature are pushing a constitutional amendment that would make it harder for lawmakers to raise taxes. Jim McLean of the Kansas News Service has more. The amendment would require a two-thirds vote in the Kansas legislature to impose new taxes or raise existing ones. Currently, tax increases require only a simple majority. Republicans say the amendment would make it more likely that future legislatures would cut spending before raising taxes to solve budget problems. That concerns groups that depend on government spending. Michael White represents the state's highway contractors. If lawmakers can't raise taxes, he worries they will once again resort to siphoning money out of the highway fund. It can become very difficult and usually transfer transportation is the one area that uh, sees the reductions. The proposed amendment is currently in a Senate committee. It would take two-thirds votes in both the House and Senate to put it on the November general election ballot. The Mid-Continent Public Library director has confirmed his decision to resign two years early was, in part, due to trustees' opposition to the library's diversity efforts. KCUR's Luke Martin reports. Trustee Yumi Pandolfi emailed other trustees last month to propose library director Steve Potter write a report on a book that claims diversity training in the military is rooted in Marxism. It's the latest controversy over equity and inclusion efforts at the library, where Potter has worked 34 years. It was just an additional level of pressure and concern and complexity. Pandolfi wrote she wanted to give Potter a more balanced view of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Potter announced his resignation days later. Lately, the issue of school choice has gotten a lot of attention in state legislatures around the country, including in Missouri. The state House of Representatives recently approved two bills that give parents more leeway on where to send their kids to school. One creates a formula for transferring public school funds to charter schools based on enrollment numbers, and the other would let students transfer to school districts other than the ones in which they live. Tessa Weinberg is a reporter covering education and the legislature for the Missouri Independent, and she returns to the podcast to tell us more about these bills and what they say about the broader conversation around school choice in Missouri. So first, I guess I just wanted to start off by talking about the bill that would transfer funds from public schools to charter schools in Missouri. Can you talk a little bit about how that would work? 
So this is a bill that has been proposed for the last few years, and it would basically transfer funding from public schools in St. Louis and Kansas City to charter schools. Um, and basically would adjust to compensate for the fact that students in public schools receive more funding than their charter counterparts. And supporters of the bill have pointed to the need to, quote, fix the glitch um, to provide more equitable funding. And they say it's because the formula is on, you know, outdated um, property tax values. And so this, this local aid um, is not going to charters in the same way. But opponents have argued, you know, this is going to be diverting public funds and our local taxpayer dollars to charter schools. And they argue that their public schools, you know, are already underfunded and that public schools face higher costs like transportation or special education services that not all charter schools do. So why does this bill only apply to St. Louis and Kansas City? Um, the bill only applies to St. Louis and Kansas City because right now those are the only areas that charter schools are permitted in the state. So a fiscal analysis of the bill estimates that a little over $8 million would transfer from Kansas City public schools to charter schools there. And in St. Louis, it would be about $18 million that would go from St. Louis public schools to charter schools. And charter schools, you know, these are independent public schools that receive state funds, but they're not subject to all the same regulations public schools are. And right now they're only allowed in Kansas City and St. Lewis, but they are also allowed in um, basically districts that are not fully accredited under different circumstances. And so that was a fear of some lawmakers who oppose this bill. If their areas have some of these provisionally accredited districts that, you know, this could be something that affects their schools down the line and, you know, shifts funds away from them if charters expand into their areas. And the other bill that you wrote about would let Missouri students transfer to a school district other than the one in which they currently live. Can you talk a little bit more about that? How would that work? So the bill is an open enrollment bill. And like you said, it would allow students to basically apply to attend a school in a district that they don't reside in. And it's the second year the bill sponsor has proposed this. You know, he is a former public school administrator and has a background in the public school system. And he said that this is a way to give students and parents choices within the current public school framework. However, opponents have really expressed concerns that, you know, this could lead to segregation within schools, consolidation of small districts, and that for some students, like special needs students, their needs wouldn't be met. And the bill sponsors really said that if your school is meeting students' needs, they shouldn't be worried that students would leave. Um, under the bill, basically, districts would say by October 1st whether they'll accept students for the following school year. And even though schools can decide, you know, we're not going to accept any transferring students, they are not allowed to prohibit students from leaving. And so that's a concern, I think, for smaller districts who have said, you know, maybe our students will leave for bigger districts that can offer more in terms of athletics um, or extracurriculars. And there's also been some concerns that, you know, the bill stipulates that you do not have to be adding classrooms or teachers or space in order to accept students. And so that's raised concerns for advocates who point to special needs students potentially being denied um, transfer and access. Um, but the bill sponsors pointed to, you know, in other states who have had these programs, for example, I believe it was Wisconsin, a court ruled there that denying special needs students transfer did not violate um, federal anti-discrimination laws. So that's been a bill that has moved forward and it just passed out of the House 
last week. And so we'll see where it goes in the Senate. So what kind of impact would these bills possibly have on funding for public schools? School districts um, have said that they won't really know its true impact until they see you know, how many students might actually leave. Um, there are some provisions in the bill that would, in its first few years, allow schools to restrict the number of students that leave to 5% of the previous year's enrollment. And um, schools have said, though, that it's going to make long-term planning really difficult if they can't rely on what their enrollment will look like from year to year. And in terms of the charter school bill, that one would transfer millions of dollars from the public school districts in Kansas City and St. Louis to charter schools. And that one also had some provisions that the bill sponsors worked with with other lawmakers. For example, St. Louis Public Schools was the district that was the main focus of debate um, over the issue. And um, Representative Rasheen Aldridge, who is a Democrat from St. Louis, had attached an amendment that would basically add a five-year delay um, to the bill impacting St. Louis public schools. You know, that was an effort to really first maybe find solutions in the area. Charter schools and public schools have really been a hotly debated topic um, in the city. The St. Louis Alderman passed a symbolic resolution to um, prohibit, you know, new school openings. Um, and it's definitely been an issue that I think they're trying to maybe find resolution with. And so that would delay that there and the impl- implementation. So what about students and families? What impact would these bills have on them? It's been something of um, kind of a perennial debate in the legislature. Um, you know, both of these are bills supported by school choice advocates. And, you know, whether it's on these issues or charter expansion or education savings accounts, they've really advocated that parents and families want more choice. And they've pointed to the pandemic as being something that's really opened the eyes for parents and families and really put their kids' education at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. And they, they've they pointed to that as a really galvanizing force and that, you know, they believe this is something that speaks to why, you know, they're seeing maybe more movement on some of these types of bills. Um, but others on the other side of the issue have also pointed to, you know, the fact that schools have been really hard hit by the pandemic and that they feel you know, now is a time where we need to be um, putting more resources into our public schools rather than putting forward bills that they see would be taking tax dollars away from it. And what they view as kind of pitting schools against each other in order to try and compete for students and resources. Um, So it really kind of varies depending on who you ask um, on, you know, how they feel the what the real tangible impacts of these bills would be. So school choice is a term that we hear a lot when we talk about education policy. What does that mean and why has that issue been so prominent lately? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so school choice is kind of a catch-all term that's sometimes used to just refer to various bills that would allow for parents to have more options than just maybe the traditional public school. That could look like things like virtual education or charter schools um, or private schools. And um, historically, those measures have faced a lot of resistance in the Missouri legislature, uh, but they saw a lot of movement last year. And supporters pointed to the pandemic as a reason for that. Um, Last year, lawmakers passed a tax credit program that helps fund scholarships that students can use for things like private school tuition. Um, That program is 
still being implemented and hasn't gotten off the ground yet. But that was a really major win for school choice supporters. And coming off of that, they really see room for more gains this year. And that's kind of where we see bills like the open enrollment one and the charter school funding. Um, But some issues have still faced resistance. Um, For example, charter school expansion and trying to expand that statewide um, has long been a controversial issue. And that's something that hasn't really gained ground in the legislature. And so um, it's been interesting to see kind of, you know, which issues rise to the top within the big umbrella of school choice. I know that in some other states, school choice has been something that's been championed by Republicans. Is is that the case in Missouri as well? It's interesting. It's not really so clear cut um, in Missouri. You know, the issues of school choice don't really fall neatly along political or ideological or geographic lines. For example, you know, with the open enrollment bill, um, Representative Mark Sharp, who's from the Kansas City area, you know, he previously opposed that bill last year and um, voted against it. But this year he supported it. And it was something where he said, you know, if that bill is going to move forward with or without me, I want to make sure then that my school districts are protected if it does move forward. And so he worked with the bill sponsor to attach an amendment that would allow Hickman Mills, a provisionally accredited school district in his area, to basically be allowed to restrict the number of students who could transfer out in the program's first couple of years. It was an interesting way of seeing how um, you know lawmakers have had to kind of weigh these issues. But yeah, also with the issue of charter expansion, that's been an interesting one where Proposals to expand charter schools outside of Kansas City and St. Louis have often um, excluded rural communities, and that's been a concession made to you know rural lawmakers who are concerned that if charters expanded in their areas, it would take students away from you know struggling or smaller public schools. It depends really on so many factors, and that it's having a D or an R behind your name doesn't really define how you may feel about school choice measures. So, what's next for these bills? They both passed the House with the minimum 82 number of votes needed. Now that they reach the Senate, they'll go through a similar process where they'll be heard in committee. And if they get passed on committee, heard on the Senate floor and also have to be passed there. It remains to be seen, you know, if changes were made to these bills in the Senate, they have to go back to the House then. That's something that we saw last year with school choice bills that there were kind of creative solutions to get around that because, you know, if you're passing a bill with the minimum 82 votes needed, it could be kind of, you know, tight odds to see whether you build them that threshold again. And also what we have to contend with, I think, this session is, you know, the Senate has been really mired in dysfunction this year. Um, they've still have yet to pass a um, congressional map with redistricting. School choice bills are a priority for some of the Republican leadership uh, in the Senate. And so some of these measures might find support there. But it kind of remains to be seen if they'll be able to kind of even reach the Senate floor and get debated when very few bills so far in the Senate have been able to move forward because just day in and day out, it seems like we kind of get stuck on some of these um, the infighting and discussions about the congressional map um, when that hasn't been passed yet. That was Tessa Weinberg of the Missouri Independent. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more stories on Missouri and Kansas government from Kansas City's NPR station, visit kcur.org, where you can also find our live stream. Tomorrow, we'll hear how Kansas lags behind the rest of the nation when it comes to preventing opioid deaths. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.